Well, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to all of you and to all of those who are joining us online. So glad to have you here with us this morning. My name is Taryn Howell, one of the pastors here, and I'm just grateful to be able to speak with you this morning for our Running with the Giants series, where we're talking about different giants of the faith, different uh, men and women of God. We've got four men and four women that we're talking about that really helped us set a, a good example for us. And today we're talking about Jacob, which is very fitting because Jacob is Father's Day and Jacob had a whole bunch of kids. Okay, he had, he had 12 sons and one daughter. He could have had more than that, but we don't, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say, so we assume 13 kids. But I, I don't know if Rick asked me to speak about Jacob because I too have a bunch of kids. I have, I, yeah, you can laugh. That's a lie. It's a lie. It's seven. I have seven kids. It's not 13, but I'm gaining on them though, okay? I'm, that's not the goal. My wife's not in here, so I can say that. So, uh, yeah. So I was thinking through, what do I want to do for, you know, we have Mother's Day. We, sometimes we, we've written songs for Mother's Day, and everybody dresses up real nice, and we have, you know, flowers sometimes. We, we do some special stuff for Mother's Day, and then Father's Day comes along, and it's kind of like, happy Father's Day. <laughs> and so I thought, what would be very fitting for all the dads in the room? And so I thought I would share with you some of my favorite dad jokes, okay, if, if that's all right with you. Yeah. <laughs> All of the guys were excited. None of the women were excited. They're like, really? I hear this all the time, okay? So it, here's, here's the thing. Two things before I share these. One is if when you hear them, you think, well, Taryn, that was really cheesy, and it really wasn't even that funny. Obviously, you don't understand how dad jokes work, okay? That's kind of the point of them. And then two, if you know the answers, these are not mine that I came up with. I stole these, so feel free to shout them out. I see John Breeze. He probably knows all of these. <laughs> He's told me most of them, so feel free to, to shout it out, and we'll share together. And just to warn you, they start off pretty bad, and it, it really doesn't get any better. That's, uh, they're, they're just pretty bad, but this is for you dads out there. Okay, uh, what is the best time to go to the dentist? Oh, wow, there's a 2.30, yeah. Some of you will laugh in the middle of the sermon, and you'll, you'll be catching up to that one. Okay, 2.30. I'm telling you, they're bad. I'd, I'd, I'd set you up for failure right here. Hey, what did... Uh, this, one's, this one's quality, though. What did the buffalo say to his son when he dropped him off at school? <laughs> that was so fast. Bison, yeah. Because bison and buffalo. This is one of my favorite. My kids know this. One of my kids is sitting up here right away. How many times... Do you have to tickle an octopus to make it laugh? Ten. Yeah, you want to say eight, but it's ten tickles. Yeah, because tentacles, that's... Uh, anyways, uh, okay, and this, this last one, this one's a little better, because at least it has to do with the Bible, so I, I guess it's appropriate. I don't know. Um, what kind of man was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. Okay, he was, he was ruthless. Yeah. That's, that's, there you go. Thank you. All. <laughs> that was, that was, I knew I'd kill it with these. You know, that was, no, no, I, on, a, on a more serious note, much more serious note, thank you to all the, the, the men and the fathers that we have in here for setting an example and leading the next generation. We have a lot of men. Uh, I've, I've heard this from people even, I mean, I, I've seen this, and you hear this from people who come and visit here, that we have a lot of men that serve in our nursery and back with our kids and in our student ministry. We have a lot of men who, they may not even be dads, but they do a lot to pour into the next generation. And I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for leading in that way. 
Uh, if there's one problem in our nation right now that's not really talked about a lot, but is linked to so many other problems and poverty and jail time and all, all, these, all these things is fatherlessness. Is that we've got a lot of fatherless homes. And so thank you to those men and dads who are not only pouring maybe into your own kids, but are helping to pour into the next generation who are helping with somebody else's kids or helping to just stand in the gap for somebody. Thank you for what you do. I just want to honor you for that. Um, and we have a lot of those men here, so thank you. I, I want to I take just a minute and just pray over the dads. You don't have to stand up or anything, uh, but I, I just want to pray over you, and then I'll pray for the sermon, and we'll go ahead and get started. If you'll bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've blessed us with. God, thank you for all that we have. Thank you for the dads that are here that set the example for me. Thank you for uh, the men that help to pour their lives into the next generation that know that the, the value of their life is in how much they help to raise up other leaders and other men and women um, that, to live godly lives. And so thank you for those men. Thank you for those examples that they've set. God, I ask that you, uh, those fathers, you just give them an incredible day today, a blessed day with their family. Thank you for all that we have, Lord. I says, as I'm speaking about Jacob today, that you give me the words to say, that it not be my words but yours, and that you will be glorified through it all. Uh, everything I do, it, it, let it be in Jesus' name. Pray, amen. All right, so we've, we've been focusing on really one verse that's kind of been our theme verse through this whole series, uh, Running with the Giants. It, it, it comes at least from this verse, and it's Hebrews 12.1, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with perseverance the race that God has set before us. So you kind of get this imagery in this that we're, we're running this race uh, for the life of faith that God has set out before us. And if you'll just kind of picture with me, we've been doing this every week, that we're just in this arena surrounded by this crowd of witnesses. And I don't know if you've ever been to a big arena or maybe a college football game, but you can't in there, you can't really hear the person talking next to you because you hear the roar of the crowd is so loud, you can't make out all the voices. And so through this series, we're really kind of asking some of these giants of the faith to step out of the crowd and come and run a lap with us, run a couple laps and just show us what they learned in their walk, like in their life. What, is, what are the things that they would say to us? And so today, we're going to do this for Jacob and just see what he says to our lives. Now, Jacob is... Very interesting. We get a lot of information about Jacob. We, he, he is born in Genesis 25, it's recorded, and then dies in Genesis 49. So there's 24 chapters, which is a lot more than most of the people we're talking about. However, not all of them are about him. Some are about his kids. But uh, we, we get a lot of He really could be almost a sermon series for us in and of himself. But Jacob is really good. The, the, the lesson, when you read through his life, one of the things that his life really speaks to is for when your life isn't turning out the way you had hoped. When your life isn't turning out the way you hoped, because Jacob had a lot of things in his life that he did not like the way they were turning out, and so he worked very hard to change them. He, he had, like, this problem. He was a deceiver. He was, he was really a manipulator. Even from his very birth, uh, in Genesis 25, it's recorded that he had a twin brother named Esau, Esau was born first, and then Jacob 
literally stuck his hand out of the womb and grabbed the heel of his brother. That's where Jacob gets his name because the Hebrew for it is very close to heel, but it actually has this connotation as a deceiver because this is just what his life looked like. Uh, He goes on, (laughs) he wanted to be first so bad, he goes on to really trick his brother out of his future. Uh, he, he He gets his brother to trade really his appetite for his future, which there's a lesson right there in and of itself that we're not going to get into, but he, he, he tricks Esau, and then he goes and he tricks his dad into thinking that he's Esau, so he dresses up and puts goat skin on, and you'll have to read it all, but he tricks his dad, and then he has to run away from home because Esau is mad at him, and he thinks Esau's going to kill him. Then he goes off and he gets married. He ends up tricking his, manipulating this whole situation with his father-in-law, he, and it's weird. It's, you have to go and read it. It's in Genesis 30. He actually uh, kind of cheats him out of, how he, out, out of livestock by how he breeds goats. I'm, it, you don't think I'm going to learn about goat breeding in the Bible, but you, you can. Uh, you can go take a lesson on it in Genesis 30. But he ends up cheating, really, or manipulating this whole situation. And this was just his life was, was like manipulation after deception and... It, constantly over and over because all these things weren't the way he wanted so he had to force it to be until he gets to this point where he just has this crisis but that's what happens with all of us like when we work to manipulate the will of god in our lives and we work to try to stay away from god and what he's doing eventually we too will come to a point of just crisis in our lives and so that's what i think jacob would tell us for when your life isn't turning out the way you hoped Let God have control of it. Just let God have control of your life. And I I, I think Jacob would say this because he did learn it eventually. It just, it took some time. You know, some of you are a little stubborn. I'm stubborn, so I I can say that. But it it takes us some time to learn things at times. But but Christians have a hard time with this, of letting God have control of their lives. We're, We're guilty of this too, because what we'll do, and what I have done many times, is we'll say, God, you can have control of all of this portion of my life <laughs> but then i get the rest like you get sunday mornings from about you know 11 to twelve fifteen, right around there and then I, the rest of my but i don't really want you to speak into my relationships or my marriage or my definitely not my finances or my entertainment my job my career school but god i want to give you complete control over this section but then the rest of this kind of belongs to me and 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 if we continue that we'll run into the same thing jacob did we'll run into this crisis and the thing is with crisis though is it's really crisis has a way to get of getting our attention you know if you've ever been through something you've you've hit a crisis in your life it has a way of getting your attention and so god god doesn't necessarily create the crisis in our life but he does allow it so that we can see him for who he is and learn to really rely on him uh, Mother Teresa said it this way. I thought this was really good. Uh, got the, there we go. You, you will never know God is all you need until he is all you have. You will never know God is all you need until he is all you have. Until you've just gotten to a point and you're like, okay, God, no, none of this is working out. Like, I, I just need you. And Jacob did get to a point where he really understood this, but it, it, took, it took a lot. And the part of the reason I'm sharing this with you is because we can get to this point by going through crisis or we can just learn this earlier and not go through the crisis like we don't have to go through a crisis to learn this 
Sometimes we're too stubborn where we just do have to go through the crisis, but we don't have to do that. And so when, when God has control of your life, though, when God gets control of your life, uh, three things will really happen. Or when you really give God control of your life, three things will happen. And all these three things that I'm going to talk about are in this story of Jacob and this encounter that he has with God. I want to kind of set it up, though. So Jacob... He was leaving his father-in-law. Remember, he had deceived everybody. And then he, he hears that Esau is coming to meet him. And Esau has like 400 men. And so Jacob's thinking, he's going to kill me. I even deserve it. He, you know, he's going to kill me. So Jacob divides his family up, you know, because they're traveling like caravan style. And so he's like, half of you go over here. I want half of you over here. So that way, if Esau finds us, he can only kill half of us. And the other half will get away. And he ends up kind of sending them off to different areas, and then he waits on this camp on the other side of a river. And during this night, he has an encounter with God. I'm sure you've heard about this before, where he he literally wrestles with God, which I know kind of sounds weird, and it is weird. But during this, he really has this transformation of his character. So that's what we're going to pick up. So when, when God is in control of your life, the first thing we learn from this story is that you will gain, you will get a new strength. You'll get a new strength. Now, it almost isn't really a new strength even. You'll just really learn to rely on God's strength instead of your own strength. So here's how it shows itself. In Genesis 32, 24 and 25, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now, this word for man here is used a couple times in the Old Testament and it, it really, all scholars believe that this is either an angel of God or really God himself. But either way, it was a representation of God, not a normal man. But so uh, this man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. And some of you, maybe you can relate with this because you're like, you wrestle with God every week. It's like <laughs> every week I'm wrestling with God about something. And when the man saw that Jacob, w- that he would not win or that Jacob wasn't going to give up, the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Now, I've done this with my kids before, not the whole, not wrenching hip out of socket, but, but, you know, you see, Jacob's wrestling with this angel. Sometimes I've thought about it, but no, no. Jacob's wrestling with this angel, with this rip, or, or God himself, and it's not that the angel couldn't take Jacob on. I mean, obviously, the angel kind of sunk down to his human strength level, and it, it was really the angel's way or God's way to say, you know, Jacob, you're really not that strong. I know you think that you can like work everything out and you can manipulate all these situations and you can get your life just the way you want it, but you really don't have it all that figured out. And so he just touches his hip and his hip goes out of socket. And so Jacob has this to remember with because he walks with a limp the rest of his life. But with my kids, I, I mean, very similar. I, 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 this, was, this really wasn't too long ago. My oldest son, he's about to turn 13 and he's, he's getting pretty tall, but he's still, like, soaking wet, like, 60 pounds. He, okay, he is, he's, he's not a lot. And, and we were wrestling the other day. I mean, this is a couple months ago. And I obviously wasn't using my full strength because I'm so ripped that, uh, you know, it would just be... That wasn't even a funny part. I don't know why you laughed at that. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not using my full strength, but I, I, I'm kind of wrestling. With, we're just playing. And he's like, Dad, I think I could really take you. This is a true story. And so I said, really? Like, you really? Yeah, I think I could take it. Now, he's smiling, so I don't know if he's, what he's really thinking here. But I, I said, how about this? And I, I'm not making this up. It really goes with the story well. I said, I, I'll fight you, but I'm only going to use one finger. 
that's it. So I, I put my I, one finger, and so he runs up to me, and he like grabs onto me. I just stick my finger in his ribs, and he's like, I'm done. I'm done. Okay, I quit. I quit. And I, I think this is, this is kind of similar to what was going on here. This angel wasn't just letting Jacob win. I mean, or, I mean he was kind of letting Jacob win, and then he's really trying to show him, look, you're, you're really not that strong. You really need to learn to rely on my strength and try to, instead of trying to do everything on your own. You're too self-reliant. And a lot of us are the same way. Is that we, we try to do everything on our own and we're not, we're not letting God work in our lives. We're not even inviting Him to really work in our lives. And we're, we're not even asking to rely on His strength. And here's, here's how you know if you're too self-reliant. Is if you're always exhausted. Yeah. If you're always exhausted, you're trying to make everything happen for you. And that means you're not really just sitting back and saying, hey, God, I need you to take this on for me. I need, I need, to, just, I need, you to, just, I need to rest in you for a while. Jesus talks very clearly about this in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, if you didn't know the rest of this scripture, which you probably do, you might think Jesus then says, so go take a day off. Take a vacation. You deserve it. But Jesus doesn't say anything like that. Actually, he, he says, I want you to continue to work. It's not about being lazy. I want you to continue to work, but learn to work my way. This is how he says it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this, this word yoke it's not an egg yoke, that's LK, but it, it's, this word yoke is one that was used for like two oxen who were about to, they were plowing a field, and they would put a, basically a piece of wood, and then it had a slot in there to put over the animal's shoulder and chest and over their head so that they could plow together. It yoked them together, and so they, they would work together on this. And Jesus is saying, because this community he's speaking to knows what a yoke is, they understand this, and he's saying, you need to yoke up with me. Like, I want you to partner with me and learn to work the way that I'm telling you. But this word yoke has really two different meanings. There's two, or really two different types of yoke, which I thought was really interesting. There's, there's one that's like your everyday, run-of-the-mill, Walmart brand. Not that there's anything wrong with Walmart. But Walmart brand, you know, it's not the highest quality. One size fits all yoke. And when an oxen would wear this all day after a long day, a lot of times if it didn't fit them right, they would have you know, kind of cuts and scrapes on their shoulders, and it, it just wasn't made for them. And then there's another type of yoke, which Jesus would have known about because he's a carpenter by trade. There's another type of yoke that is custom fit. It's like a tailor-made yoke. And it, they measure out each animal then, and make one that fits them exactly. And this is the type of yoke that Jesus talks about in here. He's saying, come and Come and yoke up with me. Work alongside me. Let me show you how to work because I have a work that's designed perfectly for you, for how, who you are and how you're designed. And who would know better than Jesus about how you're designed since he made you? It's like, I have something different for you. And if you use my strength, you're able to get more work done and it's, you'll, have, you'll find rest. And rest isn't just inactivity. It's not just not working. Rest is a condition of our soul. Jesus has rest for us. And, and this is why we have verses like Isaiah 40, 31. It's, Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll have this new strength in them. That's not their strength. It's God's strength. And they will rise up on wings like eagles. 
Have you ever seen an eagle soar? It's pretty, it's pretty cool to see, to see an eagle flying. You know, a lot of birds, they're working hard and flapping, and, and they're not really getting anywhere, and it looks like some of us, because we're trying to do it all, and it, we're not getting a lot of progress, but then you see an eagle soar, and they're just like this <laughs> the whole time. It's kind of patriotic, you know, you just want to, you see one flying by. But what an eagle does, though, it's really cool, you can study this, is that there's a thermal current that comes up, and they ride on top of a thermal current, so they don't have to work very hard. It's not like they're not getting a lot done, but they're using the strength of someone else to fly. And see, this is what we can have when we, when we give really control of our lives to God. We have a new strength, and it's not that we've just become stronger. It's that we learn to rely on the one who provides strength. And so this is why we need to give control of our life. The other, the other thing that we'll get is we'll get a new identity. You'll get a new identity. Moving on in Jacob's story. It says, what is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will no longer be deceiver anymore. You're, you're, you're no longer the one who deceives. The man told him, from now on, you will be called Israel or prince with God because you have fought with God and with men and have won. See, Jesus, God does this all the time. Jesus did this all the time where he would give somebody a new identity and you'd even hear the identity that he gives them and a lot of times it didn't seem to fit. You know, in, in John 1, 42, uh, I have this written down here on the notes too. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, this is Simon Peter. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, or, which means Peter. And this word means rock. But if you, if you looked at the life of Peter at this time, Peter was not very rock-like, all right? He was, he was kind of flippant, and he, he messed up a lot. It was, and Jesus eventually is like, I'm, I'm going to build my church on you. Uh, because God has a way of calling something out of us that he designed us for. It's not really that you'll even get a new identity. You'll get the identity that you were always supposed to have, but that this world has really corrupted. And so God does this for you. We even talked about last week, it was about Sarah. Remember, she was Sarai, and then Sarah, and Abram, and Abraham. This is a constant thing. And and I tell you, this is a a big problem in our culture right now, is that we have, our society is trying to tell, especially our young people, just trying to tell them who they are and what they should be. And God has something very different designed for their life, but it's so hard to hear that in all the noises. But if you give your life, you give full control of your life to God, he will show you that new identity. You will do things that you never expected to do before. You will accomplish things in the name of the Lord that you never expected to do before because he has control of it. The last thing you get is a new, giving control of your life uh, to God, you'll get a new joy. You'll have a new joy. Now, joy is, I, I know most of you know this, but joy is not circumstantial. Joy does not matter if your day was good or your day was bad. You still have joy. That actually is happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is not. And we, we read this because in Genesis thirty two twenty nine, the next verse after, uh, please tell me your name, Jacob said. So Jacob kind of replies back to him. Please tell me your name. And the man just kind of ignores what he says. He doesn't really, he does answer him, but not really. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. So he just kind of blows him off. I'm I'm not going to do that. Why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed him. But this word blessed, 
it's something we get we get pretty wrong for our culture for some reason has has said that blessed really means uh how much material stuff somebody has or like i went on a great trip to london hashtag blessed you know it's like like we're blessed because of the stuff that we have and that's not what the bible's talking about blessed here comes from the word makarios which means an internal joy it means despite the situation that you're in you have joy in the lord and really the bottom line is is give your life fully to god and this earth can do nothing to you there's nothing this earth can do to you when you give your life to god we had uh, at the end of last year we did a series called the insanity of obedience from the book insanity of obedience and it talked about different people who had uh, given their lives for the lord i mean had had martyred had been killed for their faith and a lot of them the stories are really just unbelievable i mean you hear them and it it's incredible because there were people who were going to be killed or they were going to be eaten by lions i mean it's wild stuff and while they're being tortured they're singing praises to god and you're like what is going on see when you've given the complete control of your life to god the world the things that happen in the world really don't matter you begin to see things like tyler was saying from a different perspective you begin to see things through what how god wants you to see them so this is why we need to give control of our lives. I think this is why Jacob would tell us this. This is why it, it took Jacob, you know, wrestling with God to get to this point, but why he would tell us this. And then I, I got a few last things. There's, there's three things that I think Jacob, before he goes back into the stands, would, would say to us. And I'll try to go through these quickly, but the first one, this is on the back of your notes too. The first one is that brokenness precedes breakthrough. Brokenness precedes breakthrough. And I think sometimes we, we hear this and we think, no, it's perfection that precedes breakthrough. And when we think about God, we're like, we got to get it perfect. Once we get it perfect, that's when we can like, really find the Lord. And that's when we can really get you know, things right and we'll have this great relationship with God. God isn't looking for your perfection, though. God is looking for really brokenness or humility. That's another way to say this. Maybe honesty. You know, whenever you've messed up and you know that you mess up, God isn't looking for you to come and say, well, you know, it was better than last week. I sinned 90 times last week and I'm at, oh, I'm only at 83. This, you know, he's not looking for it. He's looking for honesty to just come forward and say, I did it. It, it was me. I messed up. Uh, you, my son, <laughs> my son, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he was outside playing basketball. I won't say which one it is, but... Yeah, you can probably figure it out. And so he was he was outside playing basketball in the backyard, and I'm inside, and I hear him stop playing basketball, and he comes inside, and he just says, "Dad, I broke a window." I'm just, <laughs> just like, and I was like, "All right," and the reason it was all right is because he told me. He came forward and just talked to me about it. See, my uh, some of my kids, you may not know my situation. I have. Some children that are adopted, some biological, and some in foster care right now. And, and so I have kids who have been, some of them, through very traumatic experiences in their life. And when, I've, I've studied this quite a bit, but when you have been through trauma in your life, your brain is not really wired the same way as somebody who has never been through trauma because you are constantly fighting for survival. And so you will lie about the things that don't matter at all. You, 
you know, who, who dropped the paper on the floor? It wasn't me. I saw you drop the paper on the floor. It still wasn't me. And, and they will, they'll lie about things that really are totally inconsequential that do not matter. And so when my son came in and told me that he broke the window, I mean, a window isn't really a big deal, right? And, but for him to say that, it's like, yes, all right. We have honesty, that, that, that humble approach. And I think this is what God requires from us and wants from us. He's not looking for us to be perfect. He knows we're not perfect. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's looking for a humble spirit. And, and we've got a couple of verses here on this. Psalms fifty-one seventeen, The sacrifices of God, or the sacrifices that God desires, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And then in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. God opposes the proud, and you never want to be on the opposing side of God. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And I just want to say, nothing in your life can ever happen what you want happen with God until you really just give in. It, it, It really, that's why brokenness really precedes breakthrough. It's just being humble and coming to God. I think the next... Next thing that Jacob would tell us before he goes back into the stands is you must lose yourself to find yourself. I like how Jesus talks about this in Mark 8. Uh, Jesus is calling the crowd to join his disciples. In other words, he's talking to a lot of people. Some of them are disciples, some are not. So he's saying, y'all should join as disciples or disciple just means follower of Jesus. Calling the crowd to join his disciples. He said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. There's not really another option. You gotta let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. He goes on to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. In other words, don't allow what you think you want to get in the way of what God made you to be. We, we have really two options, and we're, we're constantly fighting between this battle of like, we're, we're trying to have all of what Jesus wants for our life, but then I'm trying to have all of what Taryn wants for my life. And you just can't have both. You, you, really, you cannot have both. You have the, you have the opportunity, you've got to give in to one of those. And uh, too often times, even myself, I choose the wrong one. But we think that, no, what, the design that I have in store for my life is better than the design that Jesus does. And we would never really say that, but that's the way we live, right? I mean, and so, but we have these two options to really give into what Jesus wants or what we want for our lives. And the truth is when we give into what God wants for our lives, that's where we really find fulfillment. And that's what the number three is. When you find yourself on God's terms, you find fulfillment. When you do give in and let God have control of your life, that's where fulfillment comes in. And you know, you've, you've heard stories of somebody going and winning the Super Bowl, and the night they win the Super Bowl, is, they say, is the most depressing night of their lives a lot of times. Like they, they're like, I've conquered the world. I've done it. I feel like I've done it all, you know. And, and, and because we don't, we don't, we're not made to find fulfillment in things of this earth. We're made to find, that's all temporary. We're made to find fulfillment in God. And so how do we do this? This comes, Romans 12 speaks to this. I, I love this. And if, if you just kind of, this is our last scripture I'm going to share before we leave. You just kind of hone in on this. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Paul says this so well. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. 
You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life. You could, he could even say, take your kids and your marriage and your finances, your hobbies, your everything that you have. Take all of the stuff that you do, even the m- very mundane, going to work, eating lunch, all of those things, and place it before God as an offering. You say, God, you get all of these things. All of the things in my life belong to you. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's a, that's a great line. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, so this is the solution to that, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So uh, this all starts, you know, when when you're taking your whole life and and just giving it all to God, it really all starts with one word. And this to me is, when I'm ever, ever I'm talking to, to somebody about giving their life to Jesus, that word is just surrender. Like we just have to learn to surrender. And I think, I know there are some people in this room, you've never made a decision to surrender your life to God and you have that opportunity to do that today, to just go for it before him and be humble and, and God, I know I messed up. I know I'm a sinner. I am in need of you. And then we have, uh, I think many of us in this room, you've given your lives to the Lord. You've, you've made that decision, but then you haven't really given all of your life. Like, we, you've given that portion. It's like, God, you get control of all of this, except for, you know, maybe there's that one thing that you've really, just like Jacob, been wrestling with God about. And you've been reluctant to kind of hand that thing over to God, even though you know that his design for what you, you have and what you're struggling with is really better than your design, but you still are just, it's a constant battle back with God. And I'm just going to say, just, just give him control of it. Just surrender to him whatever it is that you have going on, whatever it is you have in your life.